say good morning again. Uh, if you're online, I know we had a camera issue we've got corrected, so now you're getting to hopefully see what's going on here. I want to thank Chris and the worship team for leading us, all of you, for participating in our time uh, this morning. If this is your first time with us or it's, you've missed the last week or so, we're in a series right now that we're calling Life in the Spirit, and we're looking in this series at the fruit of of the Spirit. Uh, there are nine fruits of the Spirit that are listed in Galatians chapter 5, things like love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness. And we're, we're going to walk through all nine of those this fall semester. Uh, and, and as a part of this series, each week we're saying these words out loud together. I know you just sat down. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand if you would, just so we can say these words together. And I'm going to pray, and then you can sit back down. We should have probably coordinated that better, but get a little extra exercise this morning. Uh, let's say these words together as we begin. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we uh, believe these words, that we are people who live by the Spirit. We pray this morning that you'll continue to help us keep in step with what you're doing in us by the power of your Spirit. This morning we ask as we talk and think about joy, as we look at your word together, that you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see so that we might live in the way you want us to live. We pray in the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, guys. So joy, we're talking about joy. And when Paul is reaching for a word in Galatians 5 there, we just read it. He lists these fruits of the Spirit, love we talked about last week when he's, he's thinking about what, what word describes this thing that the Spirit does in us to produce life in us. He's looking for a word to describe a life that's filled with the Spirit. The second word that he grabs right after love is joy. Paul is a believer in joy. He's a joy lover. You might say 21 times in his letters, Paul uses this word joy. But an important question as we start this morning that we have to answer is what does joy mean? What, what does the word joy mean? And, and more importantly, maybe what does Paul mean when he says that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, and goes on to list these other fruit? <clears throat> when your, your, I don't know how your mind goes, but most people's mind goes to an idea that is something like happiness. When you actually look at the word, up the, the word joy, if you just look up the definition, one of the definitions that you see is a feeling of pleasure or happiness. And I think it's often what people think of when they think of joy. But the word that Paul uses here, it's really important to understand, is more than happiness. The word actually means something like delight or cheerfulness or my favorite calm delight. And that's, that last one is what we're going to kind of focus on a little bit this morning, this calm delight that comes from the Spirit of God. And while initially, as you think about this definition, it may sound similar to the idea of happiness, they are not the same thing. And I love the words calm delight because I think they convey really the heart of this word joy. And for us to understand what exactly it is that God is doing in us 
in producing this, I think we have to understand the word and, and clarify the difference between joy and pleasure, joy and happiness. A joy that, that creates a calm delight in your heart comes with, comes with a steadfastness, a steadiness, a maturity even, you might say, that isn't typically associated with the feeling of happiness. And here's the key difference, and we're going to talk a lot about this this morning. Happiness or pleasure is dependent upon your circumstance or your situation. For you to feel happiness or pleasure, it is dependent upon your circumstance or your situation. And joy is not. You can experience a calm delight regardless of your circumstance that cannot be taken away. We learned rather late in Lana's pregnancy, a little over 20 weeks, that we were having twins. We went to the office that day to find out the gender of one baby. And as Lana laid down on the table and they turned on the ultrasound machine and the doctor asked the question that always gets asked in that moment, do you want a boy or a girl? And of course we said, oh, we're happy with, with either one. We've kind of tried to not to get our mind around just one gender. We don't want to be disappointed about, you know, the birth of your child. And so he goes on to begin to do his thing and, and just felt what felt like seconds later, he has this look on his face and he says to us, this is exactly how it happened, he says, um, how about one of each? <laughs> to which we responded, is that an option? <laughs> and he said, it looks like it is. And I, I was leaning up against the wall in the room. It wasn't a really big room. I was leaning against the wall. It just felt like kind of like sliding down the wall. And, and what's interesting is just days after that, you know, in the days after that, that day when we found out that we were having uh, twins, and we were having one of each, a boy and a girl, we were often asked, like enough that we noticed it, we were asked, and maybe everybody gets asked this question when they have twins, but we were asked, how do you feel about having twins? Are you nervous? Are you scared? And, and honestly, you know, those certainly were feelings, I'm sure, that were there, but the word that we kept talking about coming back to was a feeling of joy. And I didn't have, at that point in my life, the definition that I just described and shared with you about a calm delight, but I, that is what we felt, and I can't really explain it any other way than just to say it that way. We had no reason to feel that. We certainly had no clue what we were going to do with twins and how that was going to work. We learned just like everybody else and messed up all along the way as we went along, and we would not have survived without a tribe of people, both when they were younger and older, who have helped us raise them. Uh, when we were thinking about names, we named Allie, Allie Joy, partly because we liked the name, but partly because we wanted to remember that feeling that we experienced when we felt, as we, as we heard that news and we were going through that journey. And honestly, I think it's easy to describe joy as a calm delight. That's, that's the feeling that we had. It's easy to describe joy as a calm delight when you're talking about something exciting, right? Like, the, the, the learning the gender of your child at a doctor's appointment or some other kind of exciting news. But the Bible, and in the Bible often when you look at the word joy, it is constantly used in conversation with suffering and grief and sadness. That no matter what happens in your life, good or bad, you can have this deep and abiding delight in your spirit. And there are a lot of stories that deal with this idea, but I want to look at two stories. We're going to try to do quickly this morning. 
The first is an interesting conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. It takes place in John chapter 16, if you want to turn there. This conversation is in the final hours of Jesus' time before he's arrested. Jesus is about to die. Jesus knows that he's about to die. And while he's done his best to prepare his disciples for what is to come, he had spoken of his death, alluded to his death, alluded to his resurrection, but they really don't understand what's going on. They only understand as much as they're able, you might say. And so I'm going to read this, this story together. I'm going to pick up in verse 16. This is John 16, beginning in verse 16. This is what uh, it says. It says, Jesus went on to say to his disciples, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And what does he also mean by when he says, because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. And Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one, no one, no one will take away your joy. Jesus is saying as clearly as he's ever said it before to his disciples, I am about to leave you. I'm about to die. I'm about to be crucified, but I'll be back. And I, I think that as I've thought about like why Jesus communicates this the way that he communicates it, I think that there's probably a number of reasons, but one of the reasons that I think he does talk about his death and he tells them about his death before it actually happens is that he doesn't want them to be surprised. They, they do end up being surprised because how could you not be if your rabbi is murdered? But I believe that he told them so that at some point later on, as they reflected on what had taken place after he had come back to life, I think, that they, I think he told them so they would remember the conversations like this. And they would go, oh, yeah, our grief will turn to joy and no one will be able to take it away from us. And, and to explain this idea, Jesus uses the image of childbirth, which you've heard me say before, I think is always dangerous for a man to talk about childbirth. But since Jesus did it, I'm going to talk about it for just a second too. Jesus says that a baby coming into the world, think about this, is what joy is like. A baby coming into the world is what joy is like. Pain is experienced when delivering a child into the world, but the pain becomes background noise when the mom sees the child, Jesus says. And this is why he says to his disciples, you're going to be sad, you're going to grieve, but it will turn into joy. Jesus knows that when the Spirit is living in them, when the Spirit is living within us, that we can have within us this calm, lingering delight, this joy whose flame cannot be snuffed out. The second story that we, where we see an example of this is in Acts 16. In, in this story, Paul, the same Paul who wrote about these fruit of the Spirit, Paul says that 
or the story goes that Paul and his friend Silas are thrown into prison. And they're thrown into prison because they had healed. It's kind of a crazy story. You can go read the whole thing later. But they're, they're thrown into prison because they had healed a lady who was a slave and she was possessed by this dark spirit, this demon that enabled her to predict the future. And she had masters because she was a slave who made money off of you know, her, ripping people off off of her fortune-telling scams that they had put together. And so Paul and Silas are in town in this story in Acts 16. And th this woman keeps bugging them. It's actually kind of a funny story. She keeps wear she's wearing them out. Paul gets so irritated with this lady who will not leave them alone. He's, at one point, he's, he turns to her at one point. He says, in the name of Jesus, come out. And the spirit leaves this woman. Well, you'd think the story would be over because it's, that, it's crazy. It's a crazy story anyway. You'd think the story would be over in that moment. But no, because the master of these, this woman who is enslaved both physically by a demon and by another human being, they didn't like this. They had been making money off this woman and off this demon possession that she had. So Jesus had taken away the spirit from her, but as a result had taken away their money-making process and their approach. And so they dragged Paul and Silas into the town, the middle of the town. And where we're going to pick up in the story the whole town is about to get involved in this scene. This is what it says in Acts 16. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received the orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. At midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, I love this story for a lot of reasons. These two guys have been dragged. They've been beaten to death. They've been dragged before the police. They've been accused of disturbing the peace. They've been stripped and beaten and flogged. Now they're in prison sitting there. They were chained up, and they were probably chained up in such a way that their hands and their feet if I was sitting down, they were outstretched so that their back, which had just been whipped to shreds, was stretched out. They couldn't tend to it or the wounds that they had because they were, their hands and their feet were bound together in these stocks. So imagine that being how they're sitting after they've gone through all the things they're going through. They have just experienced the worst day ever. And what do they do? They sing. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in mind. I don't know if that's the song they sang, like a VBS song, but that's the song I like to picture them singing, right? They're, they're overjoyed at, at their circuit because they realize something that the jailers don't realize, that the people in that town don't realize. They realize that the help that they have comes from the Spirit. The strength that they have comes from the Spirit, and no one can take it Away. They were living examples of what Jesus had told his disciples just a little while before in John 16. Your grief will turn to joy, but no one will be able to take this kind of joy away. And I think that story, along with the story from John 16, teaches us, this is the point that I want us to take away from today, that joy is not determined by our circumstances, church. But the reason that no one can take joy away is that whether or not we have joy isn't determined by our circumstances or our situation. Sorrow and grief, another way to say it is that sorrow and grief and pain and struggle are all temporary conditions. But joy is a permanent condition. And the reason that this is so important 
This is the reason it's so important for us to know that joy isn't happiness. Joy isn't pleasure. And because happiness and pleasure are based on our situation. Whether or not I feel happy is determined based on what's going on in that particular moment. And situations change. Circumstances change. So whether you're happy or you feel pleasure, are they're okay things to feel. It's okay to feel happy. It's okay to feel pleasure. I'm not critiquing those things this morning, but they aren't the same as joy. And I want us to be sure we understand that because joy is not determined by our circumstances or situation. But I want to also be clear about something else. Living with joy, living and understanding that it's not determined by our circumstances does not, right? Having this calm anchor, this calm delight that anchors us, that sustained us, does not mean that we deny the reality of suffering and pain. I'm not talking about Christians who, who are, you know, what I call kind of happy, clappy Christians. They're, all, they're, like, they're, they're like blind to the reality that the world is also a hard place to live and that suffering and evil and darkness happen all over the place in our lives. We experience it a, a million different ways. I'm not talking about people who might suggest that you should just suck it up and get on with your life, get over the thing that you're grieving, get over the thing that you're hurt about, get over the thing that's been hard for you. I'm not talking about that at all when I talk about joy not being determined by our circumstances because suffering and pain and darkness and hurt are real. Heartache is real. And we are not immune to it, nor are we as Christians ever promised to be immune to it. But what we are is made capable of enduring it if we believe that nothing can take away our joy. Amen? Pain and suffering are temporary. Joy has the potential to be eternal. This is how the psalmist describes what I'm talking about in Psalm 30, verse 5. He says, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Now, now some people, I think, have, I think this verse, first of all, reminds us that joy has the ability to shift our perspective. And I think some people have probably incorrectly read this verse and thought that this means that every believer will always wake up in the morning with joy with a smile on their face. And I, is that what it's saying? No, I don't think it is. First of all, if that's what it was saying, we would just have found an error in Scripture because I know that some of you do not wake up with a smile on your face. Amen? The psalm is saying what Jesus said, I think, in John 16, that even when the night sets in and you're discouraged and you're down and no... And you're living in those realities of life, right? That, but that in those moments, no one or no thing can take away the joy that is within you that comes from a place outside of you, the Holy Spirit. There's a preacher named Bob Russell that told a story years ago about a lady in his church. His, this lady's name was Lee Tate. Lee was a joyful older member of her church who died a little over a year after he originally told this story. And this is what he said about Lee. He said, Lee was always positive, encouraging, and cheerful. Every time I met her, I was impressed with the gentle, sincere smile on her face. She had such a radiant countenance that the secular world often used her as a model to advertise goods for seniors. She lived to be 89 years old, and her circumstances the last decade of her life were not easy. Her beloved husband, Dr. Bob Tate, had died, and she had battled cancer. But she remained active in the church as a greeter, a counselor, an encourager to all who knew her. And after she died, 
Bob Russell says he was given a note that Lee had left for him. And it read this. It said this, Dear Bob, when you receive this note of thanks, I will have arrived safely home to the Lord Jesus and to the sweet prince he gave me as my traveling companion through this earthly journey. But when you arrive, don't go look for us at the gate because we will have gone on downtown where the action is. Bob may be playing the drums in the marching band. Meanwhile, comfort my darling precious girls until we meet again in Christ, Lee. And I share that story because I think this is what it looks like to have a joyful spirit in spite of her circumstances. That she would take time to write a note in advance of her death and have a focus be on the action that is yet to come, right? That is joy that is settled deep into a person's life. A couple of years ago, I heard a song that I think describes exactly what I'm talking about today, I'm, temp- I'm attempting to talk about today. The song is called Joy Invincible, which is also what I titled this sermon. And, and to close today, I want to do it a little differently. I, I want to actually listen to this song together, and I want, I want you to pay close attention to the lyrics, and I want to give our online crew uh, just a heads up. We don't have the rights to this song, so YouTube and Facebook will probably mute this part of the service Uh, So you might want to just stop watching and go and search the song Joy Invincible yourself if that happens while you're watching online. But I want those of us in the room to watch this video together, to listen to these words, pay close attention to the lyrics as you think about joy being a calm delight, this anchor in your spirit that cannot be taken away by no one or no thing. Let's listen to this together.
giving me strength. Yeah. I love that song because I think it describes for me joy better, better than I had ever heard it described before. Uh, it describes how joy is a fruit of the spirit that stays with us regardless of our circumstances. And I'm not exaggerating when I, I say, I might be exaggerating a little, but I really, I think it may be close. If I could count up the number of times I've listened to that song thousands of times, it feels like. My family is probably tired of it. I'll listen to it while I'm washing dishes or while I'm walking around the house. My coworkers in the office have heard it. I play it in my office. I have listened to it. There have been some days when I need to be reminded that joy that comes from the Spirit is invincible. I literally will listen to it on repeat all day long as I'm doing whatever it is that I'm doing. Because... It's easy to understand in our heads, right, that this is the way that the Spirit works. But then life happens, and tears in our eyes happen when the phone rings. And there are these circumstances that come and go and that shape us and impact our lives in ways we could have never imagined, we could have never expected. And we want to give up. We want to let go. We want to stop having faith. And I think Paul wants us to hear this morning, church, that we have a joy that comes from the Holy Spirit that is being produced in our lives, not by you, not by your circumstances or your situation, but by the Holy Spirit that cannot be destroyed, that cannot be taken away because it is invincible. And it allows us to say, it enables us to say, hallelujah, nevertheless, Nevertheless, whatever may come, because we know that this is a song that pain and suffering and heartache and circumstances cannot destroy. Life does require us to be brave, and sometimes we don't want to be. And the enemy will do everything in his power to rob us of that, to remind us of that. But praise be to God, you have a power at work in you because of the Spirit of God in you that makes your joy invincible even on the days you don't feel like it's invincible. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to sing a song, The Joy of the Lord is Our Strength, one of our songs. And I want you to sing this song, maybe like you've never sung it before. You know, most of you know this song. I want to remind each other as we sing it that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's the thing that helps us get out of bed and continue to put one foot in front of the other and move forward because we understand and we know that God is at work in us. A power is at work in us that is greater than the power of our circumstances or our situation. And if, if this morning you're hearing me talk about this and you think, I don't, I don't have that kind of joy, I've never experienced that, 
I want to encourage, I would love to talk to you. I would love for you to find someone to talk to this morning. This power that comes from us is not from us, but through the spirit that is at work with us. And if the spirit of God is not in your life, I want to talk to you about that. We want to talk to you about that. We want to help begin you on a journey with a relationship with Jesus Christ so that the spirit will come to live in you and sustain you and anchor you when life inevitably happens to you and to me. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come thankful that we know where our help comes from, that we know that though in this life weeping will certainly happen for the day, that joy can come in the morning because you are at work in us and in our lives. As I think this morning about this church body, God, as I think about folks who might watch this later online, I, I know there are countless ways. I see some of the faces of my friends in this room who have endured more heartache in one lifetime than anybody should have to endure. And they have, they're still here because they believe that the joy that comes from the Spirit is invincible. Praise God. And this morning, God, I pray that you will... You will remind us of this again, that you'll renew our spirit. You'll give us strength that comes from this, this anchor, this joy that comes from you. We pray that you'll give us hearts that can receive this truth on days when we don't believe it, our minds don't believe it, our, our lives don't want to live in it, that you'll, you'll pull us along if you have to. We're thankful, Father, for the ways that you are at work that you have always been at work. We're thankful for this fruit that comes from the Spirit that is hard to describe and hard to wrap our minds around, but we know it when we feel it. And we pray you'll continue to give us that strength that comes from your joy. We pray in the all-powerful name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. I invite you to stand this morning as we close.